uh, if that were the requirement to get into heaven, I wouldn't make it in. <laughs> okay, open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 7. We begin a new section in the book of Daniel. And if you've been with us from the beginning, you know that chapters 1 through 6 of Daniel actually constitute an overview of Israel's 70 years in Babylonian captivity. And chapter 1 of Daniel starts with Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, who invades Judah, takes the Jewish people captive. And chapter 6 ends with Cyrus, the king of Persia, who will eventually allow those that want to to return back to Jerusalem to build the temple. So chapters 1 through 6 cover a 70-year span. Chapter 7, however, is actually a flashback. And if you were putting chapter 7 in the book of Daniel chronologically, you would actually place it between chapters 4 and 5. So you need to understand that. This is a flashback. And we can see that when we look at verse 1 of chapter 7. Look what it says. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon. Now, we met Belshazzar a couple chapters back, didn't we? This is the man who was the king when the handwriting appeared on the wall. So he's given us an overview of the 70 years, now beginning at chapter 7, He's going to go back in time and give us some specifics of some things he has not yet talked about. Now, Daniel at this point is out of the government. He's probably in his mid-60s. This new king has taken over, and uh, he's no longer in his position of prominence. And something happens to Daniel. Look what it says in verse 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head while on his bed. Now notice that the word dream is in the singular and the word visions are in the plural. So Daniel has one dream at night. But within the dream there are several scenes that take place. Several visions within that singular, singular dream. And each one of these visions starts with the words, I saw, or I beheld, or I looked, or something like that. Let me show you an example of that. Look over at verse 2. Verse 2, look what it says there. Daniel spoke saying, I saw in my vision. That's one of the visions within the dream. Look down at verse 6. After this, I looked, or I beheld. Look at verse 7. After this. I saw, that's the next scene. Look at verse 9, I watched. Look at verse 11, I watched. So Daniel has one dream and several visions within that dream. So let's go back to verse 1 and let's discover what this dream is all about. He says this at the end of verse 1, Then after he has this vision or this dream, he wrote down the dream telling the main facts. And so we actually hold in our hands in chapter 7 the dream that God gives Daniel. The sum and substance of that dream 
we hold in our hands. It's as if we were dreaming the dream with him, as if we're getting right into his head and we get to see it. It's a very amazing thing to have something like that in your hand. So let's look at this dream, and we're going to call this the dream and the visions of the beast, plural. Now look at verse 2. Daniel spoke, saying, I saw in my vision, now this is scene number one, by night, behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, which means the Mediterranean Sea. So in this first vision, Daniel has a sees the picture of the Mediterranean Sea, and it's absolutely in turmoil. It's like these gale-force winds are coming from every direction. Notice it says the four winds. It means it's coming from the northeast, south, and west. And it's sort of like a hurricane taking place on the Mediterranean Sea. And if you saw Russell Crowe's latest movie, what was it called, Master and Commander, something like that, you saw the kinds of uh, frightful events that can take place on the sea. And that's what Daniel sees in his head at this point. And then look what it says in verse 3. And four great beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. Now this reminds you of a movie too, doesn't it? This reminds you of one of those Japanese B-movies. They're all the same. Have you ever noticed those kind of movies? They all start with some cataclysmic event that takes place on Earth. I mean, it could be an earthquake, it could be a nuclear bomb, and the sea is stirred up, and then suddenly out of the sea comes Godzilla. You know, you've ever seen those things? And then there's another monster that comes out of the sea, and then they fight each other. And So that's the scene. It's like a movie set. And he's seeing all this in his head at this point. But there's something about these beasts. Notice it says four great beasts. These beasts are actually people, not animals. You say, well, how do you know that? Because in verse 17, look what it says. Those great beasts, which are four what? Kings, which arise out of the what? Earth. So in his dream, he sees these beasts coming out of a sea, but it represents four kings who rise up out of the earth. And look down at verse 23 as well. Look what it says. And thus he said, The fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on earth. And so these beasts are kings and the kingdoms that they rule. And therefore Daniel 7 is linked to Daniel chapter 2, where Nebuchadnezzar has his dream. Do you remember that? And Nebuchadnezzar had a dream of a statue that had four parts. A head of gold, remember that? And then it had the shoulders and arms of silver, the body of silver, the legs of bronze, and the feet of iron. And in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, he said that represented four kings and four kingdoms. And also in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, there was a fifth kingdom. It says he saw a stone not made with hands that came and crushed the other four kingdoms. So these two dreams are very similar. They have similar meanings. Okay. Now let's look at verse 4, because now we're going to look at the details of the dream. That was sort of the overview of the dream, four beasts coming out of the sea. Now let's look at the details or the specifics of the dream. 
And we're going to look, first of all, at beast number one, or king number one. Look at verse four. And I want you to notice the power of the king. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. So the first beast looks like a lion, but it has eagle's wings. Now, the winged lion was the national symbol of Babylon. And that's how we know this represents Babylon. In fact, you can go over to the London Museum in England, and they actually have two, two of the winged lion statues that sat in front of the palace gates in ancient Babylon. They're still in existence. They were unearthed by archaeologists. And so here, this is talking about the power of that first king. Now, we know that the lion is the king of the beast of the field and the eagle is the king of the birds in the air and so this represents a powerful king who can move very swiftly and just conquer nation after nation so that's the power of the king now I want you to notice the humiliation of the king in verse 4 I watched till its wings were plucked off so here we see that the wings are plucked, just like you would pluck feathers. Now, you've all heard the saying, proud as a peacock, haven't you? That means, you know when the peacock's proud, it's when it flutters its feathers and it begins to strut, you know? <laughs> because it, it wants to show off its beautiful feathers. Do you know what happens if you pluck the feathers of a peacock? becomes helpless it's humiliated it's naked in a sense and that's what's going to happen to this king now we know that this king is nebuchadnezzar because he was the king of the first empire babylon and he was proud and he was strong like a lion and he conquered other countries and he became the leader of the entire world back in those days but guess what happened in nebuchadnezzar's first dream remember what happened those of you who were here, the tree was cut in half and only the stump was left. He was cut down to size. In Daniel's dream, it says his feathers are plucked. His wings are clipped. He suddenly loses all of his power and he's humiliated. And then look what happens after that. We see the transformation of the king at the end of verse 4. And then it says, and this beast was lifted up. Now, a beast is on all four legs, but look what happens. He was lifted up from the earth and man made to stand on two feet like a man and a man's heart was given him now what we have here is we have a picture of ancient babylon and the king nebuchadnezzar who was very strong and powerful conquers the world his wings are clipped he's cut down to size he's made to act like a beast he's on all fours he's eating hay remember that story you were with us with that weren't you and then suddenly guess what after seven years he's put back on his feet and he's transformed. He's given the heart of a human being. And he actually starts acting human. So that is beast or king number one. Now look at beast or king number two. Verse five. And suddenly another beast. A second. Like a bear. It was raised up on one side. And had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. Now this corresponds to the next empire 
the one that conquered Babylon, the Medo-Persian Empire. And notice it says it had three ribs in its mouth, and uh, the Medo-Persian Empire made three major conquests. It first defeated Lydia in 546 B.C., and then it defeated Babylon the Great in 539, and then it defeats Egypt in 525. And so Daniel in his dream is seeing this new empire rising up out of the sea, the Medo-Persian Empire, and conquering the other empires in its path. Now, it's very interesting that he calls it a bear. Look at that, a bear. Now, each one of these countries is connected with an animal. Now, the bear is not as swift as a lion, but the bear is the second most powerful animal in Palestine. It's hard for us to believe that, uh, that there are bears in Palestine, but they are. And they're the second most powerful animal, and this is the second kingdom. When you think of countries and kingdoms, you think of animals, don't you? We have a national symbol, America, and it's the bald eagle. And other countries have symbols, and usually they're related to animals, and that's what he's seeing. He's seeing these countries in symbolic form. And look what it says at the end of verse 5. And they said thus to it, Arise, devour much flesh. And the bear rises up and starts just conquering one nation after another. And the Medo-Persian conquest went on for another 200 years. Now, the third king or kingdom in verse 6. After this, I looked and there was another like a leopard which had on its back four wings of a bird. And this represents the next empire that rose up, which is Greece under Alexander the Great. Now, notice it's called like a leopard. A leopard is very agile and it's very fast. And it has wings, which shows that it's very swift. And it means when it's going to conquer a country, it goes in, just conquers it. Goes in, conquers it. Goes in, conquers it. That's how swift it was. Alexander the Great conquered the entire world in three years. Think about that. Three years, the whole world was conquered. Think about Hitler. Hitler wasn't able to conquer the world, was he? But Alexander the Great was able to do it in three years. He was like a leper with the wings of a bird. And then look what it says. The beast also had four heads. And dominion was given to it. Now, if you've seen some of these prophecy books, you see all these different symbols. You see the lion with the wings and the bear and the, and the leopard with the four heads, you know. But, and that's what he sees, but it has a meaning. Because after Alexander the Great died, he died at the age of 33 years of age. Think about that. A man who ruled the world from 30 to 33 years of age. And he died in a drunkard stupor. By the way, he told his men, that he said, if I die... He said, I want you to bury me, and I want you to put holes in the sides of the casket. And I want you to bury me with my arms sticking out like that to show that I wasn't able to take anything with me. And that's how Alexander the Great was buried. And when he buried, guess what he took with him? Nothing. He left the entire kingdom to others. And the kingdom was divided between four major generals. And that's what it's talking about here. And then two of those generals rose up the Ptolemies of Egypt and the Seleucids of Syria, and the kingdom ended up being divided ultimately into two, 
But after his death, it was given over to the four generals. And so that's what we believe this means. Now the fourth king, or the fourth beast, look at verse 7. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast. Look how he's described. This is a man. Remember, it's a king. Don't forget that. Dreadful. Terrible. And exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, and trampling the residue with its feet. Now, this is the Roman Empire under the Caesars, which in Nebuchadnezzar's dream were the feet made of what? Iron. That's right. And look what he says that this beast is like. He calls it iron, teeth of iron and feet of iron. But he doesn't tell us what it looks like. It doesn't look like a lion. It doesn't look like a bear. It doesn't look like a leopard. In fact, he's never seen anything like this. He just says it's what? Dreadful. Terrible. Exceedingly strong. It's like some monster that he's never seen and it just devours with its teeth. Just like an animal just pounces and devours. And if it can't get it with its teeth, it just gets its foot and just tramples on the rest. And that's a real picture of what the Roman Empire was like. Rome couldn't get enough territory. It just would, it took over all the Middle East and uh, modern day Greece and Italy and Switzerland and Romania and Germany and France and England and even Czechoslovakia. It controlled all that land. And you know, it's just like an animal that's just tearing something apart and then it sees something getting away and it just goes, slaps it down, gets that one too. Because it wants it all. And that's how the Roman Empire was. And then he says this in the middle of verse 7. It was different. Look at this. It was different from all the beasts that was before it. And it had ten horns. It had ten horns. Or this empire has ten seats of authority or ten subdivisions. Now, if you look back down at verse 24, look what it says. What do these ten horns represent? Verse 24 tells us very clearly. The ten horns are what? Ten kings. The ten horns are ten kings. So, we know that the ten horns represent ten kings or ten seats of authority, and now we come to a major problem. Because ancient Rome did not have ten kings, and it didn't have ten seats of authority or ten subdivisions. And this has led just about every Bible teacher to say this must be referring to a revived Roman Empire, because the old Roman Empire wasn't like this, but maybe this is a prophecy, and it speaks of a future revived Roman Empire. And so many people think that this is describing an end-time event. Now, I want to show you something. I want you to keep your finger in Daniel, and I want you to move over to Revelation. I'm going to come to Revelation about three or four times 
in our lesson today. So you want to keep that marked as well. Look at Revelation chapter 13. Revelation chapter 13. And look at verse 1. Now, this is John who would be writing hundreds of years later, and he also has a dream, a vision. And he says this, Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast, same thing that Daniel sees, rising up out of the sea, having seven heads, and look at this, ten horns. And on his horns, ten crowns. Now, we know from Daniel the ten horns are what? Ten kings. That's why they have ten crowns. And on his head, a blasphemous name. Now, the beast which I saw, it was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a what? Bear. And his mouth was like the mouth of a... Oh, yeah. You ever see those symbols before? Yeah, I mean, this guy is like all the other empires combined. The dragon gave him his power and his throne and great authority. And we know that the dragon is that old serpent called Satan the devil. And we believe that Revelation 13, 1 and 2 is describing the individual we commonly call the Antichrist. So the fourth beast in Daniel's revelation represents the Antichrist who's a head of a ten-nation federation which is very similar to the ancient Roman Empire that can't get enough territory. It wants to devour more and more and more. And evidently in the end times, there's going to rise up another leader like the ancient Caesars of Rome. But his power comes from the devil. Now look at Revelation chapter 17. Revelation chapter 17. And look at verse 12, Revelation 17 and verse 12. Because now, John the Revelator is receiving an interpretation of his vision. And here's what it says. The ten horns which you saw are ten, what? Kings. Who have received no kingdom as yet. But they receive authority from one hour as kings with the beast. And that's the Antichrist. Now we are able to interpret Daniel's vision by John's vision in Revelation, which happened years later. But Daniel, when he gets it, he would never say in his mind, Antichrist. He's just thinking there's going to come a kingdom that's going to rule over the face of the earth. But we have an advantage that Daniel doesn't have because we have further revelation, which is very important. So with that, let's go back to Daniel chapter 7. And we're going to look at the rise of this Antichrist. And we're going to pick up at verse 8. 
Daniel's still having his visions. And he says in verse 8, I was considering the horns. I was trying to figure out what in the world those things mean. And look what happens. Suddenly, there was another horn. An eleventh horn. Look how he describes it. A little one coming up among them. Now this is who we think of the Antichrist as he comes up out of the midst of these nations or these kings and he rises to power. And he's the eleventh horn. Look at this. Before whom three of the horns or three of the kings were plucked out by the roots. And evidently this Antichrist just defeats three of these other leaders. Probably they're opposing him and he just just cuts them right down to size. He pulls them up by the roots. And there in this horn, that's this 11th horn, whom we're going to call the Antichrist, were eyes. The eyes that look like a man's. And so he looks like he's humane, but he's a beast. And a mouth speaking pompous words, which means he is speaking, he's a very charismatic leader, and he's a tremendous orator. And so that is the dream and the different scenes in the dream. That's the first part of the dream. Now, what happens in the dream, the scene shifts. Now he's looking at earth in this first part of the dream. He sees these beasts coming up out, out of the sea. But now in his dream, the scene shifts and suddenly it shifts up toward heaven. And look what he sees in verse 9. We're going to call this a vision of judgment. I watched. See, that means this is another scene. Till thrones were put in place. And the Ancient of Days was seated. So here... The scene shifts up into heaven, and there's pictures of thrones, and it's a judgment scene. And notice that he says, the Ancient of Days was seated there, whom we know to be God the Father. And we'll see that even more clearly in just a moment. But what I want you to notice in verse 9 is I want you to notice that the word thrones is plural. You see that? There's more than one throne, but the next verse part of the verse says, the ancient of days was seated. Only one of those seats or thrones is occupied. He sees thrones, but only one person is sitting on one of the thrones, and the other thrones are empty. Now we know from the New Testament that Jesus has ascended to the right hand of God the Father Almighty, and he sits. Isn't that right? He's sitting down at the right hand of the Father Almighty. But guess what? His throne is empty. Why is that? Where is he in this scene? Well, we know from Revelation 19, he's actually coming to earth at that exact moment, and he's defeating the Antichrist. And that's what this judgment scene is all about. 
keep reading in verse 9. The Ancient of Days was, sit, was seated, and now we see a description of the judge. It says, His garment was white as snow, and the hair on his head was like pure wool. He's describing somebody who's very ancient. That's what he's trying to do here. It doesn't speak of purity or anything like that. He's just saying this is somebody who, in a sense, is eternal. He describes the throne. His throne was a fiery flame. When he sees the dream, there's this God who's all white, and he's on this throne that's like going up in flames. And then he describes the attendants around the throne. It says it's wheels, a burning fire. And we know from Ezekiel, the wheels in the middle of the wheels are describing angels. And these are the angels who are attending the throne of God. And they're like fiery flames. In fact, Hebrew says that God makes these angel spirits and ministers a flame of fire. So here, this is this tremendous scene that he has. It's unbelievable vision and scene that he has in his mind. He says, a fiery stream issued in verse 10. It came forth before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. This ancient of days is being ministered to by thousands upon thousands. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated. This is a trial. And the books were opened. So this is the judgment seat. This is the end time judgment. This is when all the accounts are going to be made good. And people are going to give an account of their lives. So in verses 9 and 10, he sees heaven. Verse 11, next scene, switches down to earth again. Because look how verse 11 opens. I watched. Here's the next vision. Look, I watched then because of the sound of pompous words. Now you heard that phrase back at the end of verse 8. I watched then because of the sound of pompous words which the horn was speaking. That's the 11th king, the Antichrist. I watched till the beast, that's the Antichrist, he's the 11th horn, was what? Slain. Remember the scripture says when Christ comes back, he's going to slay the Antichrist with the sword that proceeds out of his mouth like a flame of fire. He says, I watched until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and given to a burning flame. Now all that takes place in Revelation 19, but we're not going to turn there. And it takes place at the Lord's second coming. So this is what Daniel's saying. He has no idea what's going on. I'm giving you all the interpretation up front. But when he's seeing this, he has no idea what's happening. He's just seeing it. It's fantastic. It's fabulous. And then verse 12 says, As for the rest of the beast, now he's going to make a comparison between the Antichrist and the rest of the kingdoms of the world and kings of the world. They had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. And he's comparing the Antichrist and his kingdom with the ancient kingdoms of the world. And when all the ancient kingdoms fell, Babylon and Greece and all these kingdoms fell, their culture lived on. In Babylon, they spoke Aramaic. 500 years later, guess what? The Aramaic language was still going on. The culture just continued to remain. Greece, it fell. It fell. And guess what? During Jesus' day, they were still speaking Greek. And the people were still Hellenized or following the Greek culture. 
And so their lives, in a sense, and their cultures lived on. But when the Antichrist is slain at Christ's second coming, that's the end of everything for him. Nothing lives on. So that's what you have. That's sort of a sidebar, verse 12. Now we have in verse 13 and 14 what we're going to call the coronation of a new king. The coronation of a new king. Look at verse 13. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. Now that's the title that Jesus gives himself. He calls himself the Son of Man. And so that's the one whose throne's empty. And now the Antichrist has been slain. And it says, the Son of Man, he sees coming in clouds. And we don't believe that's literal clouds. It probably means coming with angels. We're not sure. But anyway, that's what he sees. This heavenly being called the Son of Man. Coming with clouds. And look what he did. He came to the Ancient of Days. Do you see that? He came to the Ancient of Days. That's the Father. So Jesus has been on earth. He's just defeated the Antichrist. Now he's going back to the Father. And they brought him near before him. Then to him, the Son of Man, watch this, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. For what purpose? Watch. That, so that, in order that, all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed <clears throat> and so in Nebuchadnezzar's vision he sees a stone that rises up and crushes all the other kingdoms in Daniel's he sees that the stone is a person it's the son of man who is given an eternal kingdom that shall never be destroyed and never pass away. Now that's the end of the vision, that's the end of the dream. And I've already given you the interpretation up front. Now actually the interpretation comes in verses 15 through 28. But I thought you'd like to know it up front. And it made it easier to explain what was going on. So now we're going to read the rest of the verses, but I'm not going to go into a lot of detail. I won't have to make the comments because you basically understand but let's look at the interpretation very quickly. Look at verse 15. I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit with my body, within my body, and the visions of my head troubled me. I came near to one of those who stood by, probably one of these watchers or angels, and I asked him the truth of all of this. Now, I'm going to call this truth number one. Okay? I asked him the truth of all of this. In other words, what does all of this mean? And so he, made, he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. Those great beasts, which are four, are four kings which rise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. So here he says, well, those guys are four kings and they have their kingdoms, but guess what? That's not the ultimate kingdom. There's another kingdom that's going to come and the saints of God are going to inherit that kingdom. 
Now, who are these saints? Well, there's all kinds of theories regarding the saints. Some people say they're angels. I'm convinced that they're people, and I believe that they're Christians, because if you look over at verse 27, right in the middle of verse 27, it says this, shall be given, talks about the kingdom, shall be given to the what? People, and now look how they're described, the saints of the Most High God. So, that's the general interpretation. The general interpretation, four kings, but there's another kingdom coming, and the people are going to inherit that kingdom. Okay, now truth number Two, look at verse 19. Then I wish to know the truth. Now he wants to go from generalities to specifics. Now I want to know the truth about that fourth beast, which was different than all the others, exceedingly dreadful, with its teeth of iron and its nails of bronze, which devoured and broke in pieces and trampled the residue with its feet. And I want to know about those ten horns which were on its head. And that other horn, that's the eleventh, which came up, before which three fell. Namely, that horn, I'm talking about the one that had those eyes and a mouth and spoke those pompous words, whose appearance was greater than his fellows. I want to know about that. So, he's given the answer. And he's given the answer by being given another vision. Because in verse 21, look how it starts. I was watching. Suddenly, it flashes right in front of his eyes. And the same horn, that 11th horn, the Antichrist, was making war against the saints. And look at this. Prevailing against them so this 11th horn is fighting against the saints and winning winning the battle and both jesus and john the revelator say that in the end times the antichrist is going to come and there is going to be a tremendous persecution of the saints in fact the scripture says it's going to be so bad that unless god shortens the time no flesh shall be saved and that's what Daniel's saying. He doesn't understand it, but he sees it happening in his mind. How long will this persecution last? Look what it says, verse 22. Until the Ancient of Days came and a judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High. And the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. Now, keep your finger here. I want you to run over to uh, Revelation 6. I want to show you this. How long will the persecution and the suffering and the martyrdom last? Until, until the Ancient of Days gives the word and there's the judgment. Now, in Revelation chapter 6, look at verse 10. In fact, you can look at verse 9, Revelation 6, 9. John says, And when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altars the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held, killed by the Antichrist. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell 
on the earth. And then a white robe was given to each of them. And it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. And so God says it will last as long until I want the last person dead. That's hard to understand, isn't it? But he's got everything in control at this point, and it's going to stop at a certain point. And then there's going to be this judgment. Now go back to Daniel. <clears throat> we have to turn you one or two more times, but we're, we're winding down here in order for you to see the complete picture. Look at Daniel, verse 23. <clears throat> Thus he said, the fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on the earth, which shall be different from all the other kingdoms. Now the angel's explaining this to him in the vision. And it shall devour the whole earth. The Antichrist will become a world leader. Trample it, break it in pieces. Then the ten horns are ten kings who shall arise from this kingdom of the Antichrist. Another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the first ones. Shall subdue three kings. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High. He's going to be a blasphemer. Shall persecute the saints of the Most High and shall intend to change times and law. He's going to put everything under his power. And then the saints will be given into his hands for a time. For how long? For a time. And times. And a half a time. A time. One year. Times. Two years. A half a time. Six months. For three and a half years, the Antichrist will rule. The scripture says he will stand in the temple of God. He will blaspheme God. He'll say, I'm God. And at that point, a great tribulation comes. And those that are believers on earth at that time will be under the persecution of the Antichrist for three and one half years. But, look at verse 6, 26. But, that's not the end of the story. But the court shall be seated. You saw that before, didn't you, earlier in the chapter? The court shall be seated. And they shall take away his dominion and consume and destroy it forever. Then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. And his kingdom, the Most High's kingdom, is an everlasting kingdom. And all dominions, all authorities shall serve and obey him. And that's basically the end of Daniel's dream. Now, if you go to Revelation 20, you'll see this. See the same thing, basically. You can see how Daniel needs to be interpreted in light of Revelation. And in Revelation chapter 20. And look at verse 4. Here's what it says. And I saw thrones. And they sat on them. And judgment was committed to them. So here you see the courts is now seated. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded 
for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, who had not received his mark on their forehead or in their hands. And they lived and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him for a thousand years. And so here we see that the kingdom is given over to the saints and we reign with Christ. Now let me just show you one other one. This is what we're going we're gonna to close with. We'll go back to Daniel and read that last verse, but this is the final verse that we'll close with. And go over to Psalm chapter 2. The second Psalm. And then I want to make one comment. Psalm chapter 2. Look what it says. Why do the nations rage? And he's talking about the kingdoms of the world. Why are they in such anger? And the people plot a vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord, that's Jehovah, and against his anointed, that's the Son. And he says, you know, they, that's vain to think that they could beat God and his Son. Why are they doing that? Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. And that's what they say. We don't want God ruling over us. He's putting all these constraints on us. He wants us to do good things. Let's break those cords. Verse 4. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. God shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, You are my son. Today I've begotten you. Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Here's the word. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry. And that means make peace with the son. That's what you would do is kiss somebody. You make peace with the son. Lest he be angry and you perish in the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little, he just has to blink his eye and you'll be up in ashes. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. That's the message of Daniel. The message of Daniel is that God runs the affairs of the world and kings are to submit to him. And so one of the great lessons that we get from this chapter is that no matter how bad things look on earth, God's in control. There's never a moment that he's not in control. All the power of the universe lies in the hands of God. And those who make peace with the Son 
will inherit his kingdom. Those who kiss the Son, love the Son, will inherit his kingdom. Those who don't will experience the wrath of God. Look how Daniel ends his book. Verse 28, he says this. This is the end of the account. That's the story. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly troubled me. Notice this. Inward, inward shock. And my countenance changed. Outward shock. He is emotionally, my inward shock, look. My thoughts greatly troubled me. Emotional shock. My countenance changed. Physical shock. He's exhausted after this. And he says this. But I kept the matter in my heart. I didn't even tell anybody about it. It was so awesome and so fantastic. Now, isn't it interesting that when Daniel has a vision and all this is revealed to him about the end times and about prophecy, it literally drains him. And yet we Christians, we're just thrilled about prophecy. Oh, give me another little tidbit. Let's talk about prophecy. Let's have a class on prophecy. Guess what? Not Daniel. Because if God would really show you what's going to happen in the future. If God would just for a split second pull back the curtain of the future and see it, you'd say, oh, I don't want to see it. Because that's how bad it is. That's how bad it is. But, in the midst of the badness, God is in control. <laughs> and those that have kissed the Son, those that have made peace with the Son, are on His side. Have you made peace with the Lord Jesus? Father, we thank you for uh, this study today of this unbelievable chapter where you've literally, for a split second, given us the vision. We can actually hold the vision and the dream of Daniel right in our own hands and read it. And Lord, may we be all inspired by it as well. We thank you, Lord, that you've given us a fuller revelation uh, at the hands of John, and we even get more of an interpretation as you gave him more progressive revelation, and that we do know for certainty that you are going to establish your kingdom, and we will reign with you for a thousand years, and that's our hope. That's the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ and our resurrection or our rapture to be with him. So, Lord, in the midst of... Uh, we thank you that we don't, want to, we don't want to see the future. We know you hold the future, and that's good enough for us. And Lord, so we thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.